Big stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. To focus on the question of tax policy and what we can expect uh, under this new Alberta government and the sort of direction we need to go. So that's definitely a topic I want to touch on uh, with our next guest. But as we talk about uh, uncertainty over pipelines, I mean, look, there, it's clear that there are problems with our, our current system of getting these projects approved. So the idea of having a, a new process in and of itself is not unreasonable, but clearly there are a lot of very legitimate concerns around Bill C-69 and what it could mean for getting future projects approved. Uh, that's a topic explored in the Financial Post today, a piece from our next guest, Dr. Jack Mintz, who is President's Fellow of the School of Public Policy at the University of Calgary, policyschool.ca. Dr. Mintz, thanks for joining us here. Welcome to the program. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you. Uh, regarding C-69, let's let's start with that. And you got a piece today, as mentioned, in the Financial Post about why it is so problematic. Uh, just in, in theory, though, as I alluded to, the idea of coming up with a new process, a better process, I mean, is, does, does that make sense? Um, yes, it did. In fact, uh, you could argue that uh, 2012 changes uh, weren't really uh, adequate. Uh, in fact, uh, I, had a, I had a student at the School of Public Policy. She did an absolute uh, bang-up job. Uh, looking at the 2012 uh, Bill C-69, comparing it to uh, European Union, United States, and, and Australia. Uh, and, you know, Canada even then didn't have as good, a, good of a bill, you know, because we didn't make uh, uh, very clear the separation between the administrative process uh, with the National Energy Board in uh, making an, uh, you know, a recommendation uh, based on certain criteria and the policies framework that the government has to provide uh, with respect to issues that are, are around it on a, on a separate track. And in fact, uh, it, it introduced the idea that, you know, if, if the National Energy Board approved a project, it could still be overturned by the cabinet uh, in the public interest. So then the question is, how do you measure the public interest? Uh, the Bill C-69 goes further. Uh, in fact, it uh, gives the Minister of Environment uh, the decision to say whether it's in the public interest or the cabinet, depending. Uh, mm-hmm. And, uh, and also, uh, it introduces all sorts of new factors uh, as part of the evaluation of which a proponent has to provide information. You know, whether you know, such as gender impact, and, and uh, you know, whether it's sustainable. Uh, you know, uh, whether uh, you know uh, it, it, the impact on greenhouse gas emissions. Uh, you know, et cetera. And there's so much uncertainty associated with it. You know, the uh, proponents who would make. Uh, who, you know, whether it's electric, uh, you know, pipelines particularly, uh, but it could apply to electric transmission lines and all sorts of other infrastructure, we'll, we'll find that the, the process is, is just way too, too, uh, too much subject to political whims and, and uncertain uh, factors that are hard to measure and, uh, and, and, and make it very difficult to do it. So it imposes huge costs really on, on the process. And that's why, uh, some people like, like Jason Kenney, the new premier of Alberta, calls it the no pipelines bill, uh, because it's, it just may be too laborious for anyone to even make a, uh, you know, a, uh, or, or suggest a, a project to be done. So the goal is to reduce timelines and uncertainties, as, as you write in your piece, that, that C69 does not get us there. No, uh, C69 definitely does not get it. In fact, uh, I've, I've argued this for several years. I really wish we would adopt something more akin to what the Australians do, uh, 
uh, in terms of regulation. Maybe the politics are easier there and they were able to get do it properly, but, they, you know, they established corridors and they, the corridors will deal with all the kind of social, uh, political issues, indigenous issues that, you know, because land would be, have to be saved to put in, whether it's a highway, electric transmission line, uh, a pipeline, a train, whatever, uh, they, they could go into these corridors, but they would be pre-approved with all these more difficult political and social issues dealt with uh, at that point. And then, uh, if then they then there would be a, uh, a project, let's say a train, uh, to be put into the corridor, and it would be evaluated in terms of its own specific uh, economic and and environmental uh, impacts. Uh, uh, but uh, because a lot of these other issues have been dealt with. Uh, separately and uh, that i think is much better so people will tell you like to do an electric transmission line uh in, in australia it's, uh, it takes a year for approval well here in canada it will take years uh, to, to get done so can we can we change c69 can we improve the legislation or do you think it's you know fundamentally and, and fatally flawed uh i didn't want to Try to evaluate that issue. Maybe, yeah. maybe uh, revamping it uh, might be sufficient to uh, give some certainty. Uh, 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 I think right now there's uh, too much in the process. It's left to uh, to judgment, uh, and in fact, there's all sorts of things that uh, aren't even uh, clear. For example, uh, regulations will state what what projects will get covered, and so quite possible the federal government could add all the oil sand projects on. Uh, for approval, uh, and uh, that would create a huge conflict with Alberta if they did that. Um, they, uh, they, the pro, you know, there's uncertainty really how the economic factors could be measured. You know, there used to be, uh, from what I've been told by people who sat on the National Energy Board, there would be work done on you know rate of returns and, and some of the economic criteria, and, and and none of that is specified really in, in the legislation. So there's a lot, lot of or lack of clarity. Uh, associated with it. Mm-hmm. On the question of the cost of those delays and, and uncertainties, and, and that's a big, big factor here as well, that, I mean, our, our companies or investors going to have the patience to deal with all of this red tape. W- what are we able to conclude about the connection between delays and, and costs? Well, um, this is something which I, I did some work on uh, with Phil Bazell. Uh, we actually have this really uh, interesting model where we can measure the uh, you know, which we call a time-to-build model. You have somebody that constructs a project and then the project is used later on, and we can take into account both taxation and regulatory uh, impacts uh, with that. And the case, what we did, what I did is is using uh, some data from Spikeman Elliott uh, on kind of the historical experience for major uh, project approvals in, in Canada. Um, we, um, we had a high, medium, and low, and we assessed you know, uh, what is the extra cost, um, you know, imposed on an investment uh, just by delaying uh, the project? And uh, what we estimated uh, in the case of, uh, you know, of a project that, let's say, takes seven years for approval, which is only a little bit higher than the average of uh, the 14 projects of, of the past, uh, it, the cost would add on, you know, another, you know, $127 million on top of the each billion dollars. Uh, so twelve, you know, twelve point seven percent extra costs would be imposed just for delay, and that doesn't take into account so the cost of preparing applications, which are immense. Uh, you know, they could be quite expensive, uh, and under Bill C sixty nine, they will be very expensive with all these factors that have to be analyzed. Um, 
but also it takes into uh, it doesn't take into account uh, the cost associated with failure of the project, which uh, means you're going to give up potential wealth as a result of the project failing altogether. Let's turn attention to uh, tax policy and, and uh, something you're very passionate about, obviously, and what we can expect from this new government, the direction Alberta needs to go. Um, this incoming government has made it pretty clear they intend to make addressing the corporate tax and bringing in some corporate tax reform a priority. You've, you've advocated that for a long time. Why, why is that so important? Well, it's really important for two reasons, and I think uh, this is what's missed a lot in, in the discussion. And, and it especially has been acute with uh, U.S. tax reform that's now taking place. There are two reasons why you want to do tax reform, uh, corporate tax reform. Uh, one is to encourage investment, uh, of course, uh, and, uh, and and for all industries, not just for one industry particularly, and 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 uh, especially a reform that tries to reduce the disparity in, in effective rates across industries. And in Alberta, service sector gets much more heavily uh, than other sectors of the economy, except for uh, oil and gas, once you take into account the royalty system in Alberta. Um, but, um, uh, you know, so that's one issue. Uh, but the other issue is, is protecting your corporate tax base. And the U.S. changes were, were really important in terms of the latter, too, because U.S. is now going to make it much more difficult to put costs in the U.S. that were done in the past. Uh, in fact, a lot of companies with cross-border investments between, let's say, Alberta and Texas, they will take their costs out of Texas and put them into Alberta, which will lead to uh, base erosion in Alberta, and that's less money for the uh, for the Alberta co- you know government to spend on hospitals and teachers and things like that. And so, um, dropping the corporate rate four points, I think, will will we'll do two things. Number one, will encourage more investment, uh, but also will help um, uh, to protect some of that tax base. And in fact, there could be some other things that could be done uh, to uh, to also protect it, and that may depend on federal legislation too. That would help, uh, I think, uh, do that as well, such as tightening up an interest deduction and things like that. In fact, Alberta could could even do that, and I would even recommend uh, to uh, to the government to to look at some base tightening as well uh, in order to uh, help cover the the costs of the corporate tax tax rate reduction. Um, one of the things that uh, I have done is estimate what the impact of the corporate rate reduction would be uh, on revenues, and there would be some base expansion, about 20%, uh, with a you know, four-point cut. And so the revenue costs would not be anywhere as large as one would expect. Uh, in fact, it would be less expensive than the uh, accelerated depreciation measures if Alberta adopted them uh, of the federal government. And Alberta has not announced they're going to adopt them and if you read the UCP platform very carefully, they say nothing about it, and that's because they're just going to do a rate reduction, and they're not going to adopt the accelerated depreciation measures of the federal government. Uh, so the the idea that this is going to create a big revenue hole for the government is not necessarily the case, then? No, absolutely not. And in fact, uh, my colleague Bev Dalby at the school uh, said, look, you're going to get an increase in GDP as a result of the corporate rate reduction. And that will actually cause other revenues to rise. And so he estimates, even though he and I get exactly the same, by the way, it's very independently and with very different assumptions, he and I got exactly the same corporate revenues to be raised, uh, but, um, uh, but, uh, and the loss that would be associated with it, which wasn't very large. Uh, but, uh, uh, but Bev also estimated the impact on GDP and other revenues. 
And so he actually estimated that there would be $1.2 billion increase uh, in total revenues as a result of that rate cut. Uh, and that's mainly because personal taxes will go up and, and uh, some of the excise tax revenues as people spend more and things like that. So actually, uh, he, he actually shows, shows that the corporate rate reduction will actually generate more revenues, uh, which uh, is quite possible to, to happen. And in fact, it's a very reasonable approach he used to estimate it. And one might always quibble with the numbers, but uh, it wasn't crazy. And, yeah. uh, and in fact, uh, that's what UCP used in, in, mm-hmm. uh, in, in their discussion of the corporate rate reduction. Now, is there something to be said for the approach of lowering it one percentage point per year as opposed to going straight to to eight percent right out of the gate? Well, I, I argue that it's appropriate to do one point uh, per year. First of all, if it's legislated, I think people anticipate since investment is a long-term thing and you care about your long-term returns, mm-hmm. they'll anticipate that the rates are going to be reduced anyway. Uh, and so the the Alberta government will lose a little less revenue as a result. Um, but the other thing is that uh, by staging the rate reductions, uh, old capital, uh, which has already been made, the investments have already been made, if you lower the corporate rate, you're rewarding old capital with a reduction in, uh, in taxes when you're not going to change the, the capital decision. So by staging it da- down, you're actually not giving as much reward to old capital. And so that's actually a, another reason uh, to stage it. Uh, reductions year by year. So I think the UCP plan is, is exactly the right plan with uh, one-point cuts uh, each year, four years. Yeah. I mean, otherwise, and, and this is an important area to proceed in, and, and don't get me wrong, but otherwise it's going to be largely status quo with regard to, to our tax mix in Alberta. It was interesting to see the Alberta Liberals kind of adopt the sort of model that you've been talking about for a long time and proposing a shift away from, from income and, and corporate tax over to a, a consumption tax. Uh, the fact that that kind of got on the table, at least in the context of an election, I mean, does that represent some progress? Yes, I think it does. In fact, uh, <laughs> I, wish, I wish the Liberals did a bit better, better. Maybe their name didn't help very much. No, probably uh, but, not. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, that was uh, astounding. In fact, uh, they took exactly the same numbers that Phil Bazell and I published uh, five years ago in terms of what the personal exemption level should be and, you know, what the corporate rate would be. We had a two, you know, we had about a two point reduction as well. Uh, we had, um, we had a point reduction in, in all the person, you know, in the personal tax rates, uh, you know, so, you know, uh, it was, and we had calculated kind of distributionally neutral impact of adopting an 8% Alberta HST that would be on top of the 5% uh, provincial one. And so when the liberals came out with the package, I mean, first of all, it was very nice of them to basically adopt what we had, rec- we had actually calculated. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I was, um, I was pleased. Uh, that a party would be willing to put out its neck. But I thought it was actually a very good move by Tim Kahn because I think he needed to separate out himself from the Alberta party and to try to get his name out there more. It, it didn't pay off, I'm afraid, but I think yeah. it was uh, a, a political strategy that, that made sense. But I am glad that he was willing to put that on the table. And it didn't get uh, it got, it got some attention, uh, for sure, but uh, I don't think it played much of a role in this election. And um, uh, maybe down the road there'll be some consideration that, you know, this would be a good way to go. And I would argue that Alberta would create a huge advantage if it cut, you know, if it adopted the HST and cut personal taxes and cut uh, uh, corporate taxes even even further. Or even if they didn't do that, they could actually address some of the other issues like very high municipal 
property taxes on uh, on businesses, uh, you know, and try to deal with that issue and maybe uh, some of the things along with that by perhaps giving higher grants to the to the cities if they reduce their business property taxes. So, you know, there 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 could be, there could be some things that would be definitely important that could address it, and it would make so much sense if Alberta had a sales tax because it would give them the opportunity to. Uh, uh, to create a lot more flexibility in its tax structure and to get rid of some of the bad parts of the tax structure that are particularly harmful to the economy. Yeah, well said. Dr. Mintz, always appreciate the insight. Thanks so much for making some time for us here today. Okay, my pleasure. All Thank right, you. Take care. Uh, Dr. Jack Mintz, President's Fellow of the School of Public Policy, University of Calgary, covering a lot of ground there. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.